morning, everyone. I was quite disappointed that earlier on nobody said, and there were shepherds. <laughs> no, just me, okay. Well, anyway, um, it's not Nativity, it is Palm Sunday, and um, we've been very helpfully uh, engaged in a presentation as an alternative to a reading from the Bible. Um, let's just recap on some of, the, um, some of the things that have happened. So Jesus has entered Jerusalem on a, do- on a donkey. He's provocatively acted out and fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. And these uh, shouts that the, the, the crowd are making, Hosanna, were messianic shouts. They were declaring him to be the Messiah using the language of the Psalms that was pointing to the Messiah. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were very annoyed that Jesus was making no attempt to deny the fact that he was the Messiah. So all of that is happening. Then um, we go a bit further into the next section, and um, I'm using Matthew 21 as my reference point. Uh, Other Gospels will will have these accounts as well. Jesus goes into the temple area, and he starts to drive out the money changers. He turns their tables upside down. He scatters their coins, uh, much to the delight, I am sure, of the people looking on. Again, creating kind of lots of turbulence and, uh, and emotion. And then at the end of this very hectic day, we read that he retires to a quiet place to spend the night. All is calm. So now, let me take you to the following morning. Jesus enters the temple court again, but this time the Jewish authorities are waiting for him. By what authority are you doing these things? Coming into Jerusalem on a donkey overturning the tables. What authority? Who gave you this authority? And then Jesus answers them with a question. Well, John's baptism, he says. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it a man-made thing? And we read that they discussed it among themselves and said, well, hang on a minute. If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, well, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So this is the context for what I'm going to share this morning Jesus' words and his actions antagonizing the uh, Jewish hierarchy, uh, the Jewish hierarchy hardening their hearts against the message that he's preaching. And Jesus will now go on the offensive with three parables of, uh, of his own, um, which are all about the rejection by the Jewish leaders of the message that he is preaching. The first one is, is unique to Matthew. And so to break with tradition today, I'm not going to talk about the triumphal entry. I'm going to talk about this unique parable. If you want to follow it in the church Bible, um, it's page 989, but otherwise it's on Matthew 21. So let me read it to you. What do you think? 
there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, for they is the Jewish leaders. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, John the Baptist, came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is issuing a rebuke to the Jewish leaders. They were saying basically no to his message. And Jesus contrasts them with the yes people, the tax collectors and the prostitutes who were saying yes to the message. John came to tax collectors and prostitutes. They're entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. John came to show you the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. You were the no people. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. They're the yes people. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. They were like the son in the, the second son in the parable. They said yes. They said they were up for following God. But they were actually no people because they didn't respond to God's message. Whereas the tax collectors and the prostitutes were like the first son in the parable. They weren't God followers. They made no um, bones of the fact. But then they had a change of attitude. And it says of the first son, he changed his mind. The, the Greek word there is metabolomai, which means to be repentant or remorseful, literally um, a change of care or a change of concern. So what didn't bother the first son initially started to niggle at him. And then he acted on that niggle. Whereas the Jewish leaders, they saw the changes that were happening amongst the tax collectors and prostitutes. They saw them responding to John the Baptist's message and it didn't affect them at all. Even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. And that, that word repent is the same word. Metamalomai. The Jewish leaders weren't moved at all by what they saw God doing in the lives of the prostitutes and the tax collectors. So Jesus is criticizing them for their hard-hearted no to God's message. He'll do the same in the, the parable that follows this one. It's a story about some vineyard tenants who instead of serving the landlord of the vineyard, kill, kill the servants and appropriate his property. Again, in the third parable, guests are invited to a wedding, a wedding banquet and they abuse and kill the messengers that are sent. In all three parables, Jesus is making a similar point. Those who claim to be God's followers, who claim to be yes people, were actually no people. So that's the first and primary and obvious meaning of the parable. But there's a second way in which I want to understand it, and this is often the case with parables. They often have layers of meaning. 
And I think there's a general principle that we can draw out from it, which we could state quite simply, that it's not what you say, it's what you do. Because ultimately, what you do reflects what you believe. The first son showed by his actions that contrary to what he first said, he believed that obeying his father was important. And this gets to the heart of what the Christian faith is. Christian faith is not just a mental nod to some propositions, to some theological statements, but a conviction that leads to action. Or in the words of the excellent Dallas Willard, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Well, the question I've been asking myself in preparation for this message is, why is it that sometimes we don't do what we said we would do? Why is it we sometimes appear to be yes people, but often are no people? I think there are three broad reasons. We're going to look at these in turn. I think we say yes and mean yes, but there are times when actually we can't get out of a no. I think there are times we say yes and mean yes, but then actually we break our promise. We don't keep our commitment. And there are times when we say yes, but actually we mean no. So let's look at those a bit more closely. First of all, we say yes and we mean yes, but actually there's an unavoidable no. Or to put it in modern parlance, stuff happens. Sometimes we say we will do something, but something happens to derail our plans. Once upon a time, once upon a time, Lucy made a commitment to run a marathon. Training was going very well, but one December day she was out there on the road and slipped on some black ice and broke her leg. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes things happen that just knock us sideways. Circumstances beyond our control that derail our plans. And some excuses are valid, aren't there? We, we would excuse Lucy for not attempting to run that marathon with her broken leg. And then sometimes we just miscalculate. We say we'll do something, but in the doing, we realize actually that we've overstepped ourselves. So this is Neil, everybody. Once upon a time, Neil promised to manage a local community building project. He had a little project management experience, his evenings were relatively free, and he looked the part. But it wasn't very long into the project that Neil realised that he was in way over his head. There were policies, procedures, regulations to follow that were difficult for him to understand. He seriously underestimated the resources he needed. Some of the stakeholders were older than him and very forthright and relationships got to be a bit strained. And he realised that for the sake of his own health and for his family and for the project, he needed to step down. 
Sometimes we will do something, but in the doing, we realize that actually we've miscalculated. In Luke 14, Jesus told this parable. Supposing one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule, ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And that's the case with us sometimes. Sometimes we start something, but we're unable to finish what we started because it was harder than we imagined. We failed to, to recognize the true cost of actually doing that thing. Well, then sometimes I think we say yes and mean yes, but actually we don't keep the commitments that we make. Sometimes we say we'll do something, but for a variety of reasons, our initial keenness just wears off. So here's a couple more characters to introduce you to. This is Gerald, everybody. Gerald agreed to help his sister more with the care of their aging parents. The start of the new year, he'd made a resolution. He was full of enthusiasm and excitement and drive and optimism and responsibility, a sense of responsibility to play his part. And he really meant it at the time. But January advanced in a rather chilly fashion. And his enthusiasm waned. And it was important he looked after himself, wasn't it? And he had, other, he had other responsibilities at work, didn't he? He had a Christian witness to maintain there. His sister was much more skilled in the caring department, wasn't she? Waning enthusiasm. Once upon a time, Agnes offered to volunteer for a local charity for two days a week. She had a strong conviction that she was at a stage in life when she had the time, she had the abilities to offer something back. And the charity was delighted. Agnes was in excellent health, she was energetic, competent, and she made a promising start. But a couple of weeks into her role, a neighbour told her about her new job. And it sounded so much more exciting. And then a friend came around for coffee and parked a shiny new car on her drive. And some other friends on impulse were planning three weeks away in the Canary Islands. Would she like to come? Jesus said about one of the seeds in the parable of the sower that the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And in the case of Gerald and Agnes, it's not they can't avoid a no, it's that they fail to follow through with what they said they would do. And then the third and final category is when we say yes, but mean a no. Like the Pharisees, who said they wanted to be God followers, but in reality, their actions betrayed them. And I think often it comes down to the fact that we feel we need to save face or to please others, to look good in other people's eyes. 
So once upon a time, Barclay invited his three best friends over. They had a lot in common, but in recent years, they'd all become much more concerned about the environment, except for Barclay. He just didn't accept the arguments for it. So when the evening was finished and one of them offered to collect up the empty bottles for recycling, Barclay said, don't worry, I'll do it. And the following morning, he dropped everything into a black bin bag for general waste. In the early days of the church, a couple called Ananias and Sapphira heard that people were selling land and property to help the poor. They wanted to be seen as yes people, generous like the rest. And so they sold some property, but pretended to give it all away for charity purposes, whereas in fact, secretly they thought they were keeping some back. This story is told in Acts chapter 5, if you want to read it. And Peter the Apostle told them, you've not lied to men, but to God. And then one last little story. Ashley was sitting at home when the phone rang. Her friend, Sarah, was doing a sponsored bike ride from London to Brighton, and she needed someone to take her there and pick her up at the end. Of course I will, said Ashley. But as soon as she put the phone down, she regretted it. She didn't want Sarah to think she didn't care, but actually there was something else on her calendar for that day that she would much rather do. And a few weeks later, she rang Sarah at just the time she knew Sarah couldn't pick up and left a, left a message on her voicemail to say that something had cropped up. Sometimes we say we'll do something because that's what someone else wants to hear. But deep down, we don't intend to do it. I think saving face and pleasing others are two sides of the same coin, needing to look good in other people's eyes. I wonder if you recognise yourself in any of those characters. Frankly, I've been all of them at one time or another. But I invite you to ask yourself, as I've been asking myself, what kind of person am I? What kind of person do I want to be? A yes person or a no person? And this challenge to, the, to be the people who say yes and act yes appears to have been a recurring theme in Jesus' teaching. So on one occasion, a crowd was following him. A teacher of the law came to him and said, apparently in the hearing of everyone else, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm a yes person. And Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Apparently the lack of comfort was the reason that man probably went from yes to no. Then another disciple said to him, I'm a yes man, but Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And on this occasion, it was a break with cultural tradition. And how that might look 
which was the reason that that man probably changed his yes to a no. So what about us as we approach Easter and we approach that particular occasion when our thoughts are focused on Jesus' resounding yes for us? Because he knew exactly what it would cost him. What appears to have been on, around, on or around Palm Sunday, he said to his disciples, very truly I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Then he went on, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So Jesus knew that our salvation would cost him everything. There was no miscalculation on his part. There was no waning enthusiasm There was no distraction. Even the devil with his promise of all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor couldn't turn Jesus' head. He did nothing just to please people or save face. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, we read in Hebrews chapter 12. So what kind of followers are we? We're never going to be yes people perfectly like Jesus and he knows that. He knows that sometimes we'll say yes and act no. He'll know that sometimes we'll say yes and mean no. But does that mean the end of the road for us? Well, absolutely not. And I want to close by just reminding you of the story of Peter and his denial of Jesus. He was so confident of his yes Even if all fall away on the count of you, I never will. He said before all of the other disciples. Jesus said, you'll disown me three times. Peter said, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Was there ever a more confident statement of yes? And yet we know what followed. And how Peter's yes became a no. But that wasn't the end of the road for him. And it's not the end of the road for us if we let Jesus down. This table represents for us, and we'll come to communion shortly, grace and mercy extended to us. A reminder of what God has done for us. A reminder of the forgiveness that is offered to us. This is the glorious theme of Easter that we are building up to in this next week. And so we can say yes to Jesus, knowing that he understands us, knowing that he understands our frailties, our weaknesses, knowing that he'll forgive us, that he'll help us, teach us, restore us, encourage us, walk with us, even to the end of our days. Amen.